I'm a pretty emotionally a dude, you might know this. And so it's not good when a song hits me pretty emotionally right before I get up to speak. <clears throat> Just fair warning. So as I, as I said before, we are starting a series that we're going to be in for all the month of January. We're talking about what the church is and what do people who are in the church, connected to church, members of the church do? What makes a church healthy? What makes members of the church healthy? And so we're going to dive into that today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time we can gather as your body, your church. We pray for, as we open up your word, that you speak to us, that you show us what we need to see and that you direct our hearts and minds in ways that you would want them to go so that we can praise your holy name all the more and we can respond with the life you've given us. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Happy New Year is the first Sunday in January. Traditionally, the New Year is that time of making those resolutions, those uh, changes, those you're looking forward, you're saying, hey, what project, what kind of goal, what, what do I need to work on as a human being? It's a time to evaluate and maybe address those things you see. Just, has anyone, did anyone make New Year's resolutions? Anyone? You guys are all liars. You all did. I know you did. <laughs> you might not formally write them down because if you write them down, then you're not going to live up to them. But you probably thought at some point, and if you didn't, I'm going to say you did, at some point you thought, man, I should probably do something about my life. Usually when people talk about New Year's resolutions, it revolves around getting healthier, doesn't it? They're like, man, I need to be more active. I need to work out more. I need to eat better. I just need to be healthier. I need better habits, and so on and so forth. And that's all good, because we need to evaluate sometimes what makes me healthy and how can I be a healthier human being. And it's the same with the church. That There's times when the church needs to maybe take a step back and say, what makes us healthy? And what could make us healthier? What are some goals, some, some projects, some things that we need to do as a church? And, and that a church member needs to do the same thing, and they can take a step back and say, what are some things we can do as a church member that makes us healthier and makes maybe our church healthier? And they determine how to live that out. But that gets a little tough because it is, it's all to do that, we have to actually know what is the church. What is a church? Because if you don't know what a church is, how could you know what a healthy church is? And you have to know what is a church member, because if we don't know what a church member is, then what is a healthy church member? It becomes hard to pinpoint down. And so we are talking about what the church is, but that gets tough, because just think about how we use the word church in our day. We use it in many different ways, don't we? We use church to, to mean the, the universal, invisible church, the church that expands the globe through time and space of all believers who are God's people. That is the church. We use church to refer to this local body. This is the church. We, look, we, refer, we use the word church to refer to other local bodies of Christians as churches. We drive down the street and we see a church building. We say, hey, look at that church. 
depending on where you live, when you say the church, something is coming to mind. If you lived in Boston and you said the church, most people are thinking you're referring to the Catholic church because that's the church. And so it gets hard to think about the church because of how we use the word church. It's, it's a little muddied. And it gets even more complicated because we see all these new ways in which people are doing church. That you can now attend, I put air quotes on that on purpose, you can now attend church on TV, stream it online, on your iPhone or whatever smart device. You don't have to go there physically. People belong to a body now where they are, are association with other bodies and they call themselves one church, but they expand different locations and so on. There's all these different ways in which people are doing church that makes it confusing to know what is a healthy church. And all that is to say is that when we think about the church and when we think about a healthy church and we think about healthy members of a healthy church, we, how we define church matters. So it's smart to go back to Jesus and see one of the two times in the Gospels where Jesus actually refers to the church. So you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to be in verses 13 through 20. And this is this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to him, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Foundations matter, don't they? I fancy myself an amateur woodworker and all-around fix-it kind of guy. At least my wife wants to make me into one. And foundations matter. When you're building something, which I've worked on several houses, when you're building something, that first kind of step you take, the foundation truly matters for the whole rest of the project. Because if you get off a little there, you get off really big at the end. And young Adam used to say, no, I can slap together a nice foundation, I'll fix whatever problems happen at the end. But let me tell you, finishing work gets really hard because those small problems become bigger problems that you can't even fix towards the end of a project. That foundations truly matter. That if you get a foundation right, if it's level, if it's in square and all those things, then you can probably stop small problems becoming large problems later on. That you don't have to chase things around and make sure everything is accurate later on. And it's the same with the church. That when you look at the foundation of what a church is, if we get that right, if we get that biblically, if we get that understanding in our minds of what a church is, then hopefully that means problems won't creep up later because we'll understand what the church is and we'll head off those problems at the pass, so to speak. And that is at the heart, I believe, of what Jesus calls the church in Matthew 16, is that he's actually giving us the foundation 
of what the church is. He says, this rock, that I am the son of the living God, the Christ, is the foundation of the church. It changes everything. Which brings us to what the church is and how we would describe it or how maybe I would describe it. And I would say this, the church is God's people called by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, for the purpose of glorifying God together by serving God and loving others in his world. It's a mouthful. So let's shorten that up so we can grab it in our minds, we can take it home with us, we can ponder it, we can apply it to our lives. I would call the church simply this, God's people living for God together. That's the church. Who are we? We are God's people. We've been called by God. We've been called out of darkness. We've been given new ideas. We've been saved by grace. And we come together as his people. We are called by God and he makes us his people, adopts us into his family. He looks upon us through the lens of Christ. And so now we're co-heirs with Christ. We're his sons and daughters for all eternity. That is who we are. The church is God's people. But we're, we have a purpose. He gives us a purpose, and that is to live for him. That encompasses our whole life. What we do on a Monday morning as well as a Sunday morning, we live for God. But this is not a solo experience, for we do it together. The Christian is not supposed to be like Rambo, taking on the world by themselves. A Christian is not supposed to be the Lone Ranger, fighting a good fight on their own. I saw this great tweet which says, God intended us to travel through life as a community. Think bus, not unicycle. I like that. We're not supposed to be riding our unicycles through life by ourselves. We're on the bus of God together living in communities. Because no, Christians were never designed to be a part of they were designed to be part of the body of Christ, living together, serving God together, loving each other as God wanted us to do in the beginning and has called us to do now and doing ministry together. God's people living for God together. That is the church. And we see this in Matthew. Matthew, when Jesus, Jesus is talking to disciples, he says, who are people talking, saying I am? He's like, what's the word on the street? What do people believe about me? And so the disciples offer him some of the things. They say, oh, they say you're Elijah. No, maybe you're John the Baptist. No, no, you're another prophet. And so then he gets right to the point, the, the, the foundational question. What about you? Who do you believe I am? And it's Peter who responds. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's how he responds that makes all the difference. For it's Peter expressing this belief that Jesus is truly the Messiah, the one sent by God to save his people, that Jesus is truly the son of the living God. He is divinity in the flesh, that Jesus was setting up a new dynamic with his people, that he had come, that we just celebrated this fact during Christmas. And Peter expresses this. And what is Jesus' response? On this rock, I will build my church. Because we've got to be careful here. What is the rock the church is built on? Some people go different kind of routes. The Roman Catholic Church would have you believe that the rock that this church is built on is actually Peter himself. And that's why they make him the first pope and et cetera and on. 
I would say no. If you read this, really the understanding we come to is that the rock on which the church is built is the confession that Peter spoke. That when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus is like, that is the rock, for I am the rock. And it's on that truth, this fundamental understanding of who I am and I'm going to save you, on which the whole church is going to be built. And so when we say that this is the rock, we understand that the truth is that Jesus is the rock on which the, the church is built. Jesus' truth of who he is, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is how we build everything that we believe and do as a church. That is the rock. And some people might look at the modern church or maybe their own personal church and they might get a little downcast or a little sad. They can look at the actually decreasing numbers of church attendance across the country, or maybe they look at polls where people stop identifying as Christian and start identifying as spiritual. And they can get a little discouraged. and like, man, the state of the church seems a little bad. But I love how Jesus wraps in this encouragement. He says, and on this this church, the gates of hell can't prevail will not prevail against it. It's an encouragement that no matter what way the church might be seeming going, the true church, the church of God, hell itself cannot take it out. All the forces of evil arranged against it cannot eliminate it. And we take heart about this fact. Especially in a time when we can look in other countries and we see Governments persecuting and hunting down Christians and applying laws against them, forcing them not to worship. I mean, we can think about what's happening in China right now, where people are mean together and knowing that maybe the government's going to come a knocking and carry out people in handcuffs. And we should pray for them and we should encourage them and we should use whatever means we have at our disposal to change those laws in other countries and keep our, and we celebrate the freedoms we have in this country. But we can never be discouraged. For if the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, what government can stop us? What government can stop the church growing? For China has tried this before and guess what happened? Almost the majority of Christians are now Chinese because it's exploding there. Because you cannot squash God's church. So when we think about the church, we should think with encouragement that God has a plan and that plan is to use his church, people, his people, coming together, living for him, proclaiming him, serving him, loving each other together to spread his fame and his name across this globe. God's people living for God together. We start seeing this truth again and again throughout the Bible when we see these images for what the church is. Before, the Bible used a whole lot of imagery to describe the church. And we're just going to hit a few of them, some of the big ones today. And so the Bible calls the church the people of God. 
And this image actually connects the church with the Old Testament and that the Old Testament, there was a people God. Anyone who knew God and worshiped God and followed God were the people of God. And now the church is called the people of God. And we see how it now just bridges this gap and that we worship the same God now as Abraham worshiped back then. And that we are the people of God. And that it's not like we, we supplant the people of God in the Old Testament, but now we are grafted in. And now the church is made up of Jewish and Gentile people worshiping God as the people of God. And we see this in verses like 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, which says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are God's people. God has made us so. He brought us in. It's not a matter of what we did, but rather a matter of what he did. And we're called to live with a purpose. As Peter says here, we're to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness, which I think is just another way of saying living for God. And we're called to do this together. God's people living for God together. For look at what the words that Peter uses. A race, a priesthood, a nation, a people. These are all plural words of us being together, living for God. God's people living for God, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us from darkness to light together. The church is also called a new creation. This is pointing back to the fact that when someone comes to know the truth of who Jesus is, they are a new creation. They were in sin, bound and enslaved in sin. They were rotting there. Their destiny was death. And when the light of Christ shined into the life, their chains fell free. They got up and followed him. We're a new creation. When we read this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which famously says, Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. When we read that, we have a tendency to grab that and say, That's me, and that's true. If you're a Christian, if you believe in Christ, that is you. You're a new creation. But so often, that's where we stop. But it's funny, if you read further, we see that this new creation is not just personally. It is personally, but it's meant to be lived out corporately, together. For if we continue the passage in 2 Corinthians uh, where am I? 5, let's say like uh, verses 18, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I'll just stop right there and we see that this reality of being a new creation is supposed to be lived out as a us. Individually, yes, we come to know Christ, but then once we individually know Christ, we associate together as an us with a ministry to offer the world. God's people living for God together. Another way the, the Bible describes the church is that it's a fellowship. This one is so popular that it works its name into church's names. So-and-so fellowship. I can't make fun of them because we're called River Valley Community Church. And what is community? But it's another word for fellowship. 
Why do, we put, why do we do that as churches? Why do we put fellowship or community in our name? It's because we're actually pointing back, looking back to a central characteristic of what this gathering is. It's people coming together and sharing life together. We're fellowshipping together. It's so funny because when we use that word, we so often use it as a verb or, or something we want to do. You know, we're going to have fellowship time as an adjective there, but we're going to do fellowship. But when the Bible uses it, it uses it as a noun, the fellowship, the church. That is so fundamentally at its core about people gathering together and being united together that you can call it the fellowship. As the author of, uh, as Luke says in Acts 2, 42, talking about this early church, right at the beginning, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What defined church is that they came together and they sat under the truth of who Christ is, the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves together to the fellowship. And they broke bread together, probably alluding to communal meals as well as to the, the sacrament of communion itself. And then they prayed together. Describing what the church is. The fellowship of God together. God's people living for God together. The last image of the church I want to mention is this. And that's probably the most famous image of the church. And it's the body of Christ. It's the most famous image of the church, because it's used actually several times by Paul, talking about the, 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 the church, that the church is like a body. And as we know, a body has many different parts, and they all work together, and that is what the church is, that it has a head of Christ, and then everyone else comes together, and, and they're like Voltron, and they, and they link up, and they make something bigger and greater. Most people don't know what Voltron is. But it, it, Power Rangers do it too. Does that help anyone? Probably not. So that's what the church is, a body. Christ is ahead. These members linking up and making it so, working together. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 13 says, Just as the body is one and has many members, so all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we all were made to drink of one spirit. The body of Christ is an image for church as individual Christians fellowship together and make a unit with Christ at the head. And I think this is so powerful is because we all have a body, don't we? Yes, the correct answer is yes. I'm looking at you. You have a body. And we, our body is made out of many different parts. And when one part goes wonky, we know it. I recently developed a, a case of tennis elbow, which is ironic because I never played a ten, game of tennis in my life. <clears throat> and that one little thing set my whole routine out of whack. I can't even pick up like a jug of milk without it going, ow, that hurts. We know when our body is out of whack, when one member of our body is, is, is not doing its job, and we're like, we got to fix that. And this image is so powerful because that applies to the church, and I don't believe it applies to the universal church, that we're all one body together, yes, across this globe and across space and time, yes. But I think it becomes so much more powerful when you apply it to this church or any one 
church. We can say we are a body. We're made very different, and we're given different skills and different talents, and we operate together to serve God. And if we, if you're not doing that, the church feels it and experiences it. And it can be limping along, and then you feel that, the isolation and not being able to do your purpose as well. But when the church is operating as it should, us different members being united under the headship of Christ, serving God, living for God, doing what we're called to do by God in this world, we feel it and we start clicking and we see what the church is supposed to be body of Christ, holding out the salvation of people, of, of Christ to people in our community. And so this, this is actually it's another way of saying that God's people living together, live, serving, living for God together, for we are God's people, God, Christ's body, and we're living for God. We're on a mission to do this ministry we've given, and we're being together, we're working united together, God's people living for God together. And so if God's people are called to be together, what is implied there is the fact that Christians are supposed to be in their local church together, living for God. As I already mentioned, the idea of the Rambo Christian or the Lone Ranger Christian or the unicycle Christian doesn't make sense with the Bible. The Bible says, no, we fellowship together and we live together and we work together. I came across this quote by a pastor called Ricky Jones that says this, asking where the Bible commands you to be a church member is like asking where the USGA rulebook for golf insists you be human. The whole book is addressed to the church. You won't find a rule in most sporting books, player must be human. You won't find a verse in the Bible saying Christians must be members, but the whole book, the whole Bible is written to churches, local gatherings of people serving God together. And we can just look at so the word that is used that's translated for church, ekklesia, in, in, in the Greek, and what that means is assembly. And when they went back and they translated the Old Testament into Greek, they used that same word for the Old Testament assembly, gathering around God. This idea that the church is fundamentally an assembly of God's people together. And of the 114 times that's used in the New Testament, 109 of them are directed to a local, specific body of the church. That we see again and again this word implies that people are to be together. The word for fellowship also implies that carries the same connotation, that the church is the gathering, the fellowship of like-minded, saved individuals, praising God, worshiping God, serving God together. When we look at those images used for the church, they really only make sense when the church gathers together. And the context, again and again, drives this fact that the church is supposed to be together, working for God together. And then, as I already kind of mentioned, look at how the New Testament is written. We see the majority of what is written is to churches, leaders of churches, people who are in specific churches. Churches are named by their own names. Paul tells Timothy and Titus how to set up the leadership of what? Local churches. We see again and again the Bible telling us, 
Christians gather together as bodies to worship me. That we are a identified people. As God's people. Living for God together. The local church, I believe, is where God's message is firmly communicated with the most powerful power because it's where it's communicated face-to-face with people in a local community who can hear it and respond to it. The local church is where, where um, people get involved, where disciples are made, is where people are sent out from that a Christian needs to be part of this community or that community is weakened and the church is weakened and the Christian is weakened. The healthy Churches have connected healthy members, and healthy members are connected to a healthy church. There's a place always for other organizations that help support the mission of the church, but they, they are supports, they're add-ons, that the, the, the emphasis should be the local church and then other organizations that this church supports. Give some of your hard-earned money to are organizations that come alongside the church and help us do things we can't do. But we always want to focus that God's plan for his gospel being spread across this world starts with his body, preaching his truth. So what do we do with this understanding of what church is and how members are supposed to relate to it? Well, first of all, we love the church. We commit to the church. I have to admit, of all the application points, I do not like this one. And it's not because I, don't, I question the validity of it. <laughs> I think that's biblical, that you commit to the church, you love the church. I don't like it because it sounds so self-serving. Because I'm standing in front of you as a pastor of church, say, you best be loving this church. And guess what? That's what I am saying. That, I, that firmly I believe the Bible says a Christian loves their church. They commit to their church. They want to see God moving through their church. And so they're in ministries of their church. They're praying for their church. They're connected with their church. They're loving the members of their church. And they're seeking to see God's will done through their church. So what do we do with this understanding is that we love the church and we commit to the church. And I'll be so bold to say that if you are listening to my voice, that church should be River Valley Community Church. Now, I don't have to tell you guys that because you're here this Sunday morning. But it's the truth that if you are connected here, make it your church and, and love this church and seek to minister through this church. doesn't mean you can't do other things. You can obviously do tons of other things. But it means that this church should be part of your life as you seek to live for God together. second thing is the fact that a healthy church is made up of healthy church members who are being grown by that healthy church. It's kind of like the chicken and the egg. Which one comes first? A healthy church or a healthy church member? And they both need it for a healthy church is going to be growing healthy church members who are going to be feeding back into that healthy church, making sure it stays healthy. And that healthy church is going to be feeding back into those healthy church members, keeping them healthy. And around and around, spiraling up we go as we seek to honor God by keeping our church healthy as we keep our membership healthy. 
as we love each other and seek each other and pray for each other and serve each other and do everything we're called to do together, that we need each other all around, supporting each other, feeding into each other's lives, holding out the truth of the gospel to each other again and again as we seek to live for God together. God's peace, God's people living for God together. So I just want to say that's how we respond, is that we do our part to be healthy and make our church healthy, that we love the church, we commit to the church. And then I just want to conclude with this, is that this church is a family. Of all the images that we spoke of, they're all powerful and they're all true, but the one that actually has spoken so much of here, not just from up here, but from around this whole room, is that the church is a family. That we love each other like a family. And that sometimes we go, ah, I can't choose my brothers and sisters like a family as we look at each other and seek to love and serve one another. And we do this, I think, pretty well here. We can always do better, but we do this well as we seek to love each other like a family. I came across something that brought tears to my eyes as I saw the church in action in real life. This takes place actually in England, happening right now. And I read this, this happens on, uh, on Friday afternoon, I read this, about a, a pastor in England who is growing his church, God's using him to grow his church, and his wife of 13 years is on her deathbed. And it's actually a very tragic, kind of uh, almost absurd story of how she got there. But he's sharing with his church and a lot of brothers and sisters across the globe on a, on a, um, a group messaging app. And as he's doing that, he's sharing his heart about what's going on, as well as he's encouraging them, as, as well as he's uh, just talking about what the church has meant in this. And I just think this brings out the reality of who we're supposed to be. And so these are his words as he's waiting for his wife to pass away. He says this, God has made all of his people in part to be a group project. God made his people for the local church, hasn't he? I need my family, especially my children, and Megan's family now, of course, but please understand me, I need the folks from my church just as much, if not more. I think the Bible bears this reality out. I also need the folks from the universal body of Christ. If you're a Christian and you're reading this, are you a member of a local church? Not a video church, not a satellite campus where the pastor doesn't know you, not your own church at home, not a solo Christian. A solo Christian is an oxymoron like warm ice cream. The local church, have I beat that drum enough? I really need the church right now, and they have been there. I don't just mean just one or two of the paid uh, staff team. I mean everybody. One couple with a relatively new baby themselves is watching our dog. Many are making meals. Others have watched our children, text, prayed, sat with me, and pointed me to Christ. Another couple, who used to be members but moved to Northern Ireland, are bringing a pizza meal from Belfast. Might get cold falling across the Irish Sea with, sea with it. Guys, this is a local church. A group of people <clears throat> saved by Jesus who live in roughly the same location, that's key, and are committed to each other for each other's spiritual and practical good to the glory of God. It's like the little outpost of heaven on earth. I can't help but plead pastorally with all of you, be an actually committed, formal member of a local church. You need it to obey Jesus. You need it to be more like Jesus. You need it for moments like the one I'm in. The nurses around Megan, his wife, see this. They can't believe the reality of our church. Our children right now love our church 
because our church especially obviously loves them. Do you love the church enough to inconvenience yourself for her and commit to her? It pays off. Exhibit A. The nurses caring for my wife and child are seeing the glory of God. That's what happens when the church is his family. Is that people see the glory of God as we as a church, as God's people, live for God together. We hold out. We proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us from darkness into light. We hold out the reality that God has brought together sinners and failures and mess-ups to be his body, to proclaim his glory, and to share it with those around us. God's people living for God together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for our brother Brad, the pastor in England, his wife, and his, the whole family. We lift them up, Lord, and we lift up everyone in our, in our own family who's experiencing hardship and pain, who's recovering from surgery, who is looking towards surgery, people who are feeling that loneliness in the, or, or people who are ill, people who just can't be here because of stuff going on. We lift them up to you, Lord. And we pray that us as a body can come around them and love them and serve them as we're called to do. But Lord, we pray that you well up in us a love for your church. That we know that it's your plan for the spreading of the gospel through this world, our community, and across the globe. Lord, we pray that we can be built up by our church, that we can build our church up, that we can invite others to experience your love through our church, that we seek to live for you all of our days, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.